Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Product Coffee, a podcast where product management leaders share stories, advice, and thoughts on all things product over a cup of coffee. Grab a cup of joe and join us to level up your product career 30 minutes at a time. Today we have an exciting guest. Uh, we have Martina Lauchenko, who is a uh, partner at Silicon Valley Product Group. Um, so she has you know, worked with, we've had Marty Kagan on the podcast in, earlier in the year. Um, and so she's worked with him. Uh, she's uh, worked at places like Microsoft and Netscape, working on industry-leading products. Um, she's advised a bunch of uh, Fortune 500 companies. Um, and she recently wrote Loved, which is a book that you can get now on Amazon, uh, I'm not sure if there's other other outlets as well, but I know you can definitely pick it up everywhere. Everywhere you, you, you'd want to get this book, check it out. Um, and this is a guide for uh, product marketing for tech products. And it pairs super great with uh, Inspired and Empowered, uh, Marty Kagan's books. So that's a, that's a quick intro. Uh, Martina, uh, maybe you could give us a, a little bit of color and give us a quick intro about yourself. Well, you did such a nice job already, Zach. I started my career off in product management, and I basically bounced back and forth between some form of product management, product marketing, or actual marketing in various shapes and forms on uh, customer-facing products, on back-end infrastructure products, so also bounced around between B2B and B2C. So I've had this really amazing vantage point to understand how lots of different aspects of the industry work. And then for the last decade, I've also taught at UC Berkeley in the Graduate School of Engineering teaching engineers about product management and marketing. That's awesome. Um, so I, a depth of experience that I think we can benefit from here. And of, of course, check out the book as well. There's, I think, a lot more you can get into. Um, so I, I thought it would be really helpful for us and for our listeners to talk specifically about product marketing. Um, you have experience both in product management and product marketing. And I think, um, you know, Kevin and I both come from more uh, traditionally product management backgrounds. Um, but we recognize there's a, this really important component about how do you market your products? How do you help customers understand what your products are and why they matter? Um, so so maybe you could uh, tell us a little bit about what is product marketing, how does it relate to product management, and maybe also a little bit about how it's different from traditional marketing. Those are those are very, very <laughs> big questions, each unto themselves. So hold me to getting to each of the answers. So the simple answer to what product marketing is, is it is driving product adoption by shaping market perception through strategic marketing activities that map to business goals. So that's the definition of it. And what most people think it is, is promotion of a product when I have built it and it is done. And even though I think a lot of people have tried to modernize that perspective of it, I think how it's actually practiced still has a tremendous amount of that legacy sense of, we'll build it and then the marketers will go and market it. 
marketing as a function has become very much one filled with specialists that are really, really great at their respective domains. You have digital marketers, people that specialize in PR communications, marketing communications, in analyst relations, SEO, um, you have campaign managers, customer marketing, any big arms in social, community managers. And so each of those specialists, event managers, manage their domain and they're excellent at that. And what typically, what people don't get is there needs to be a little bit of a translation layer between all of that purely promotional activity where they say, give me the foundation and then I'm just going to take it to 11. And there needs to be someone that is essentially creating that translation layer between here's what was built that you can turn up to an 11 with this particular audience. So not all audiences are equal. Not all messages mean the same to each of those audiences. And that's the layer that product marketing serves. Awesome. Uh, Yeah. So I I think there's that element of like understanding what customers you're targeting and how your product specifically serves their needs. Like as a product manager, that kind of tracks to how I've thought about um, thinking about the people you're building for. It seems like so, there's some there's some crossover there. Um, yeah. So yeah. the the four found foundational the, the foundational fundamentals that I talk about in the book that are product marketing the discipline. So not just someone that holds the title, but this is something that anyone can move their their brains toward. The first one is ambassador between customer and market insights. So that's a lot of what you just talked about, Zach. The second is acting as the strategist, directing that product's go to market. That's typically the work that if you have a product marketer, they're quarterbacking. The third is storyteller. So shaping how the world thinks about the product. That's something that's always done in a deep collaboration between product and the go to market teams. Never, if it's cooked up in a room by product marketing or by marketing, it's not going to be good. (laughs) I've just never seen that work particularly well. It's either too promotional or too product centric. It's never sort of that right intersection of just the right stuff that people need to hear that's informative and thoughtful, that is meaningful for that target audience. And last but not least is the evangelist component, which is not that you are the evangelist so much as it is you're enabling others to be evangelists on your behalf. And this can include, I I just talked to a group yesterday, where two-thirds, they have hundreds of product managers and product teams, and two-thirds of them are focused on internal tools. So none of them have product marketers, yet all of those tools and applications need to be adopted internally. So those product teams actually need to think about evangelism. I told a story of a product manager at Uber that his team built this tool that needed to be used by all these other teams that were doing a lot of data work and machine learning, and he was he was the evangelist. So it could only be used as far as he himself was able to evangelize. Had he thought about it from more of a market perspective, even internally, he might've said, okay, you five engineering leads that I have talked to, what are five other groups that you work with on a daily basis? And will this tool be useful to them? Is there something we can do to arm them with the knowledge? Not, hey, can you introduce me so I can go do this myself? That's sales. One-to-one is sales. But marketing is essentially thinking like, who, who are the what are the vectors of influence and how do I get them what they need to actually do that on my product's behalf? So those are the four foundational fundamentals. And as it relates back to your question, where does that customer fit in? It is necessary to do all of that really, really well, which is why it is that that customer market insights is fundamental one because everything starts by understanding that and being able to, to build around whoever it is you're trying to reach. That's awesome. I think I, I, I love uh, part of the book that I'm reading now is is around um, 
how product marketing might be instrumental in startup world or, or early stage products, which was kind of interesting. Um, now, as you're talking about that, have you experienced a shift or a benefit to having product marketing involved in early stage startups? Well, that's who I work with every day at Costa Noa Ventures. We do only early stage. And so like every day, <laughs> I see the difference it makes every day. Now, most of the time in early stages, they don't have the luxury of a product marketer doing this work. So it really winds up being the early stage product team are oftentimes the founders that are doing this. Like one team I'm working with, the founder and the head of sales. They don't have someone in marketing that can do this work. So we're figuring it out as this triumvirate. And it's like, what did you say today in sales? What was working? And what can the product actually do? And we're constantly trying to pull in market signal from every place that we can learn. Somebody ran a survey with 45 CIOs. What did they say? What did they value? Okay, head of sales, go and try this out this week and see which of those things are resonating more. And you'll find things like, while this might be a narrower way to talk about our product, it better qualifies who is a, who's the right target and who is not. So even though it doesn't cast as broad a net, it casts a more specific net where people say yes or no much more quickly. So in that early stage, you're spending time on the right targets as opposed to, because you can imagine early stage, a lot of people are still trying to figure out, I'm not sure who my target audience is. So you can't start, start saying like, oh, it's, it's everybody. That doesn't work. Or you might guess like, oh, I think it's developers, but it might be a particular kind or ones that are at a particular part of their life cycle. Or if you find it is that narrow, like this has happened with one of the early stage companies I work with, they realized where they were getting interest was if someone identified this need, if they were at a particular pain point, like all these perfect intersections of things had to happen for them to raise up their hand and say, that might be interesting. And that's basically finding a, a market needle in a haystack. And that's too, that's too narrow. So it's kind of like, okay, we have to broaden the aperture. So the, the, the marketing job or the product marketing job is not to figure out what to say to that needle in the haystack. It's what do we need to do to broaden the conversation in the ecosystem that where those people do live. So more people are talking about something bigger, a, a bigger problem that defines this need as being important or urgent for more people. So there's an education component beyond just, this is what my product does. And in the early stage, you don't know the answers to any of these questions until you just start going out there and everybody that is touching the market is getting signal. And so the product, and that's why I'm putting air quotes around product marketing. It's never one person's job. It is everyone's job at those early stages because everyone's learning. It, it kind of reminds me of finding product market fit. Like on the yes. product side, you can have a 10 to 20 person size startup. You may not have a product manager at that size. You probably don't, in fact. Um, that doesn't mean product isn't important. It just means that you generally your founder, your CEO is working on it. Some of your engineers might be doing some of the product work. Um, it seems like with product marketing, there's still a strong need for product marketing to happen. Um, it just doesn't necessarily happen with a product marketer at that point in a company's life cycle. That's 100% right, Zach. That is 100%. And it is, it's basically the market side of product market fit. And it does need to be done simultaneously while you're figuring out what you build. Every early stage company that I'm working with right now, as we've been figuring out how do we talk about ourselves and what does this actually mean in the market, it has changed the roadmap. As we've decided, oh, you know what? This is really what's taking hold, and this is where people are all leaning in. And suddenly, whereas something might have been three months out, they're like, oh, actually, we're prioritizing that as number one. And that's that's what you're looking for is where that market and product intersection are happening, so that you can maximize adoption. 
And then what are the, so you, you mentioned getting those early stage startups as kind of a sprint to get all of the signals in the world in order to inform kind of what that market fit looks like. Can you give me some examples of like maybe some ways to get those signals or some ways that you've kind of coordinated efforts with a, a small team like that? You bet. Well, the number one way all small teams that have product people in them should be having lots of customer conversations during the week. And so in those customer conversations, anything that is that, that, well, first of all, you want to be testing messaging directions. Okay. Do we call it, do we talk about it this way, version A, or do we talk about it this way, version B? And where, where do they understand us better? So one of the startups I'm working with for example, was talking about authorization. And they started off saying like, well, we think it's privileged access management. But the moment they put that out in market, people were like, oh, oh, so you're like X and Y. And people were like, oh no, that's not, that's not at all what we want to be compared to. So we realized, even though we thought that was good, it was a third rail. Stay away from that one. So the next week we tried something else. And the week after that, we tried something else. And then we've landed on just-in-time access management. And what was so interesting was... After it, and that's where everyone's been leaning in. So another example, Kevin, is they were recently at a trade show and they were trying this messaging out on everyone that walked by and they said everyone understood what we were talking about. So it landed everyone in the right frame of reference as opposed to some of those other ways of talking about it, which m made people go down the wrong rabbit hole. So that's why you know, figuring this out is really important. What was ironic was when we went back and looked at the customer conversation notes they realized people had been saying just-in-time access, but because they'd been listening for other words, it's kind of like they hadn't heard it. <laughs> so that's a, a grand irony, I guess, of the process. But the process will ultimately, hopefully, ideally, yield the, the right result. That, that's really interesting. The, now, when, when you said some of these, you're, you're essentially prototyping these messages as yes, opposed to exactly. prototyping a product, right? Exactly. And so you want to understand what resonates um, how, how to communicate the concept in a way that is reflective over the intent right. of, of that yes. team. In all of those conversations, anything that resembles a intention calibration. So not like, is this valuable? How, how valuable would you rate it relative to the last thing you bought? Because a lot of people say like, Oh yeah, that's valuable, but it's not valuable enough to that for them to displace budget or make a different decision or change a way of working or so if it's a scale from one to 10, one to seven, I'm not dogmatic about there's one method, but you have to ask that calibration question because if you don't, everything can sound pretty good and you're looking for something that's great. Can you, uh, can you repeat that calibration question? Oh, uh, this is an example of one, uh, of the things that you've recently paid for, how would you rate this on a scale from one to 10? That's really interesting. And I, you know, that, that resonates with my experience doing like usability sessions, sitting down with customers, you'll ask them, do you, you know, is this feature interesting? Like, is this something you find value in? A lot of times you'll get soft answers that are somewhat positive. Sometimes they'll be negative, but, um, I think really understanding would this change your behavior is, is a critical component of that. Yeah. That, that, and so I, and there, I have some recommendations in the book of questions to ask, but it's really, it's anything that is a true indication of how they might actually act versus what they will say. And I say this to my students all the time. I'm like, there's a say, do gap 
Like, sur- and that's what where surveys tend to fail because people are, yeah, I like that. I like this. I like. It's all intellectualized, but it's not actually. Would I take action? Uh, you, and you can even ask a more hardcore question, like, okay, uh, like I, I'm working with this other entrepreneur, and I said, I want you to ask them of the tools they currently use, what would they stop using if they had this? Like that is a really great market calibration question because you're, you're, you're testing displacement because today 90% of what people are putting out in the world, there's a way to do it already. (laughs) Uh, It's very, it's very rare these days that I find technology companies are replacing a manual process. And, and in those it's kind of like, oh yeah, well more power to you, go for it. (laughs) But most, in most cases, it's a, it's a better version or a better way of doing something that they already do in some way. Yeah, that's, that's super interesting. That kind of reminds me of, uh, there's a product market fit question that, uh, I'm, I think Rahul, I'm forgetting his last name. He's the the CEO of superhuman. The email superhuman. Client. Uh-huh. He talks yeah. about this idea of asking if this product were to go away tomorrow, how sad would you be on a scale from, I think it's one to 10. Yeah. And for people who are, you know, I think eight and above or nine and above, uh, that's, that's who you're really targeting is because you've, you've solved something. If a certain percentage of your target market actually would be actively sad if your product went away. That's right. And, and a lot of people refer to that as the Sean Ellis test, but it is, it's, it would be not somewhat disappointed. It's very disappointed and you need to meet a certain minimum threshold. And that's the indicator that you have some semblance of product market fit, but it's that very disappointed that you're looking for. And that's a great, another great example, like Sean Ellis test. Fantastic. Huge fan. Is there a, um, so, so even prior to validating messaging where you're more playing within a market and you know, that very early stage startup, maybe even trying to get to your first product how do you how does product marketing or those tools and tactics in that stage benefit to get to that initial concept or to be able to understand that market that um, we're potentially going after as as you're building that first product having seen both sides i would just say it's 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 very, very fluid. Like for me at the early stage, the line between what is quote unquote, go to market versus product is super blurred. I've worked with one entrepreneur that basically did a hundred different prototypes and iterations where it's like he would draw them on his iPad and put them up on a zoom call and, and, and scan through them and, and tell people anything that you'd want to change. Like, what would you change? What would you put there? And he got product signal, he got market signal, he was getting all of it at the same time. So for me, it wasn't like this hard and fast line. He wound up shifting product directions by where people were putting a lot of the, I'll say, feature emphasis of what they wanted. He thought he was going to be automating one part of the process and they just didn't, that wasn't as valuable to them as as something that to him seemed like a much simpler problem, but for them had much more daily value in, in making their lives easier. And I would say my overarching experience with, with product teams is it's so easy to get in our heads of what we believe the product should be because we have full knowledge of the capabilities and of where we want it to go. And most of the time, people want something that's much simpler and, and way less that you need the right depth for the right stuff. And I don't think people spend enough time on trying to figure out what is that right stuff? It's hard to get to. I won't say that it's easy, but this is a stuff that really distinguishes those product experiences where we're like, wow, that was absolutely fantastic from those that are average. 
I've got a uh, bit of a maybe maybe it's a uh, uh, an exercise we can go down together. But let's say that you were brought in to reshape a product that has been in market for ten years. So it's already been in product, and, and maybe there hasn't been much innovation in the last, you know three to five years, call it, right? And so there's a lot of opportunity because you have a lot of customers that utilize the product, but you're trying to grow and evolve this product that has built up over time. Is there ways that you can leverage the resources that you have to do that in a meaningful way? Um, you know, it, I think this is one of those ways, those those signal tests that we can potentially run, but like, what? how, how would you approach that? Yeah, there are. So these days, there's so many ways to instrument products and get product knowledge about where do people engage and seem to have the most value, where are products stickiest. So for sure, I would go just go deep diving in that product data. But then there might be areas that are less obvious in that data where people spend a lot of their time and energy. And the way I describe this is there are areas that have disproportionate market impact if they are better. And sometimes you can discover it in data, sometimes you can't. So um, an example of that for my career, and this is like eons ago, but this was a super mature product. If we looked at the data of how frequently word count was used, it was not used very often by lots of users. It was used a lot by those who needed it. But, you know, in terms of total counts, I'm like, eh, you know, so it's, it's not super important. But it was massively important to the press which were our most influential audience at the time in determining the product's market value. And so we disproportionately invested in making it super fast. <laughs> we made sure we actually had a dedicated engineer saying that you got to make this lightning fast. And it made an enormous difference in the impression of the, of the product's performance because we focused on something that we knew would have disproportionate market impact. So you're looking, the way I describe this to product teams of more mature products is not all areas are equal. There are some that will be simply valued more by users and you're trying to find those and it will always be a combination of means that will get you there. Customer success might have insights. The product data might give you insights. You might learn some from customer interviews, but try and find things where people are like, oh my God, that was great. That's a super interesting example because as a product manager, the first thing I think to do is, okay, let's look at the data. What are we seeing? Oh, you know what? Very like, you know, a small percentage of our users actually use word count. Should we consider sunsetting this feature? Um, but I think the, re the result of that in this uh, context is that it really negatively impacts it for certain power users, first of all. And so trying to understand what's the value of a power user comparative to, uh, you know, other segments of users of your product, but then going beyond that and looking at, some of these power users, what types of evangelism might they do for your product? Kind of tying back to the product marketing fundamentals. Uh, and I think that's something that's super fascinating is thinking about how you're positioning your product to be perceived. Um, so yeah, I, 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 could you talk a little bit more about this idea of like building a product for kind of the perception value versus the real value and how you, you kind of walk that balance? Well, I would argue that the perception of value is the value. Like what, what else <laughs> in the big scheme of things, what else is there? It's the stuff. It, and if you think about there, every single market landscape is so dense. Like the MarTech, this is one I talk about often because I work with companies in there, but the MarTech category this year has 
almost 10,000 players, 9,900, more than that. And that's the number of, of cities there are on the planet Earth. That's one software category. So how how is anyone supposed to figure their, their way through that? No one's going to talk about anything that's just pretty good. So I, I was in a, a meeting where, where one of the board members asked, so what's average NPS in this category? And they're like, oh, it's in the 30s. And so everyone around the table was saying, okay, well, as long as you're meeting the average, we can't expect more of you. And I was like, that is not enough. (laughs) If you are trying to actually move the needle in the market, you have to have something that's going to be 60, 70, 80, because that's something people will talk about. And it doesn't have to be the whole product. It has to be one area that has a lot of meaning to them that they really, really like. Because then they're going to go talk to, Zach is going to talk to Kevin and say, Oh, you got to give this this a try. The, the new blankety blank is really, really awesome because you're never going to talk about the whole product. You're going to talk about the thing that you really, really liked. So finding that has has disproportionate market value. So I I in the modern era, you have to work for the perception of the product. It matters the the truth. I'm putting that in air quotes so no one can see. Uh, the truth of what you have in the product matters less than the perception of the product in the market. And that's just, an, unfortunately, it's just a market truth. And this is a battle that a lot of, of more mature companies have. They have the reputation, you know, Kevin, you were asking me, you have your 10-year reputation of where you were as a product. And now you were like, how do we be perceived as innovative when in the last three to five years we have not been perceived as that? You have to do something super duper innovative and very, very modern. It might be, and that's why a lot of people acquire that because they're like, you know what? We're not going to be able to do that, but these guys are super hot and, and super innovative. So let's just acquire that in, or they, they haven't, you kind of have to do something big so that it can be noticed and seen. I love that, that <laughs> the, the blankety blank, that, that even could be a night interesting uh, product or company name. I wonder if that is already. Like, <laughs> it probably is. <laughs> like yeah. I, I use a product called Mm-hmm. Who would have thought that would be a good product name? You bring up a great point that we're at a more, a slightly more mature stage in like the internet and internet technologies at this point. And this is something I've noticed when I was a lot younger. Anytime there was just a new feature of something, you're more interested because there's a higher chance that it hasn't been done before. And so it's like, oh, cool. That's something new and, and uh, you know, kind of innovative. Now, so many things have been tried in some ways that you almost need combinations of different factors. And I think that really comes back to what is the ultimate story that you can tell out of the 9,000 plus people you're trying to rise above in the market, you need something that catches people's attention, keeps their attention. And that's your, that's your story. That's, uh, and that comes, I think comes into the storytelling piece of it. Right. Um, well, you, you said that the combination though, Zach, like, I wonder if it's not that it's, it's not, you're adding features and features, right? I don't know if that was the intent by that statement, but I think, yeah. it, it sounds like there's, there's perception of your value of the product and then doubling down on that perception of the value seems like a good strategy, right? I think that's kind of yes. what we're getting at. And then within mm-hmm. MarTech, which is so large, it's really like those specific niches. If you can knock out a niche for a specific customer focus, I think that might be the, the route, it sounds like. Well, that's why like the customer is fundamental one, because to your point, Kevin, it, it, if we decide that this customer segment will say large enterprises are are the most strategically important for us. We're going to make different decisions about how we go to market and also what's important from a feature perspective. 
And we might also tell our story differently, which will position the product within the market. Now, to your question earlier about how, how do you do this when you're a more mature company, most mature companies are targeting multiple markets. They don't just have one, which always is what make it, makes it tricky. And this is where there's a product component. And, and to the, the first question, which was like, how is this different than marketing? This is where brand marketing and marketing experience and social engagement and all these other things play an, an enormous role in people having affinity and a sense of relationship and, and, and connection to a company. And that is now a piece of what needs to be considered. You can't fight all these wars with product. Some of it is the overall experience. So an example of that, that I get uh, talked to all the time within everywhere, everywhere that I go, people rave about Gong as a product. They rave about its sales process. They rails, they rave about its marketing. And I have to say like within the B2B realm, they are just really killing it. And they do all these things that are very obviously different. I never have a sales rep that is reaching out to me. I have their head of content and everything that gets into my inbox is something that actually has tactical, explicit data-based value. That's a no sales zone, which is the A plus way of doing content. So we can point to all these things. I posted once uh, on LinkedIn. I said like, oh, this is, this was in my inbox today and it was really good. And here's why. And I had all these people jump in saying, oh yeah, they are so great. We just signed up for them as a customer. I need this. Oh, we love their product. And so this is, this is what the modern era requires is you got to have a great product for sure, but you have to actually be nailing it on all these other fronts too, because at the end of the day, people have choice and they want to work with a vendor that they feel really good about. So that's where all the other aspects of marketing come into play. Customer success might be part of your go-to-market. So that's why that strategist is number two, which is okay for what we're trying, for the battle that we have to fight, what are the most, what are the things that we can bring to bear in this battle? Yeah, that, that makes a ton of sense. And I think that component of uh, helping people understand why your product's different, why your product's better, uh, that requires partnership with product itself to make sure that you're, to some extent, building in a way that you can tell that story, but then also making sure that you're telling those stories in a way that uh, captures how you're solving problems or making experiences for people um, so that... Uh, um, so that they are more likely to consider your product over over everything else that they have have options for. Um, so we've talked a little bit about these different uh, fundamentals, right? Ambassador, uh, strategist, the storytelling, the evangelism. Um, how important is it within product marketing to do all of these? Like, are you doing all of these at the same time? Is there kind of a life cycle where you do some of these at some times and it kind of ebbs and flows? I'd love to kind of at the macro uh, understand how that how that works. Yeah, well, fundamental one: the customer market insights. All day, every day, all the time. That that's kind of just how how you're able to do the job well is by being really tuned into those customer market signals, and being able to pass them back and forth between the go to market side and the product side. So that's all day, every day. The strategist that really is points in time where you are going to sit down with all the players involved to create a map that everyone can look at and say, oh, I, I see where we're going. And the way I like to describe it is it's like creating the picture to the puzzle, putting in place the edge pieces and filling some of the key components in and then going to market and seeing what needs to change and what you might reorganize a little bit. So that happens at regular intervals, but that's not an everyday thing. The storytelling, that's stuff that you'll make a huge investment in as you're trying to figure out what to say to have a, a really good, you know, set the table, here's the foundation, that the positioning 
might stay static for a long time. That's the long game. Whereas the messaging that can be campaign centric, that's short game campaign centric, this target audience that we're trying to get to nail right now, these key things. So you'll create a foundation on which all that other stuff builds. So that's a, both a, a, a moment in time as well as something that evolves over time and something just that needs to be paid attention to. Cause often what happens is you start off saying one thing and if you're doing a really good job, everybody copies you. And at what point does that become flat and you need to evolve? So that's the storytelling aspect and how the evangelism one is all day, every day. And it is the, the work that most frequently is done and enabled through others. So if you are a B2B company, you're enabling your sales force. All, that's a huge part of the role, but you're also enabling the marketing team to do their role effectively. You're also enabling evangelists. You, you're paying attention to how you show up on G2 or people that are writing you reviews or how people how you show up in socials or what are people actually saying in those ratings and reviews and does that information need to get back to what the product team is making decisions around if they're not looking themselves. Hopefully they are. But that's, so one in four are the all all the time through a lot of different mechanisms and fundamental to the strategist and three, the storyteller, you create these strong anchor points that direct a whole lot of the day-to-day motion. Yeah, that's super helpful. And it kind of fits into how I think about like with product, you have day-to-day activities like talking to customers, working with your engineers. um, And then you have things that you do maybe somewhat regularly, such as planning out the next couple of months that you want to build towards and looking at the strategy and uh, fine-tuning your strategy. And so it seems like it's really important for for product and product marketing to kind of work together along these different points within the life cycle. Um, As as a, a product manager, I would love to hear a little bit more about how can product management and product marketing work really effectively together in an organ? Let's so you know we've talked a lot about the the disciplines, right, and how they're important no matter what size company, no matter what titles you have. Um, but let's start to look at medium to larger size companies um, that actually have product managers. Maybe are looking to hire a product marketer or al- already have a product marketer. How can these two different functions work together super effectively? So the very best way to have that partnership work really, really well is to have product marketers embedded with product teams. And sometimes you don't have enough product marketers to have, like there are way more product teams than there are product marketers, in which case you would want to pair a product marketer with a product team that is customer facing, that has some kind of lead in that, in that role. And so that's where that embedding happens. But that team should feel very, should feel incomplete if they don't have that product marketer, that's a sign that it's working really well because that person is constantly reflecting the customer market reality. So for example, you're at the weekly standup and they're going through the backlog saying like, okay, well, here's what we think we're going to prioritize for this week. That product marketer is going to say, okay, well, you know, this feature number two, you guys are talking about, if we waited two weeks, that that would let us time it with this trade show that is going to be really big. We're having this big marketing investment. And then that's going to let us actually run some campaigns against it and, and make more hay out of this. And so that is then bringing that market decisioning into you know something that's a, that seems like a very simple act. Similarly, they might come in saying, I just came in from the sales review and we are getting our clock cleaned by this one competitor that wasn't doing this last quarter. And so what can we do to do battle against this competitor? Is there anything on the roadmap that we can increase the priority of or do faster or do better, or maybe do a disproportionate investment in because they are really, they're doing, they're inviting bake-offs 
and this is the place where we're falling short. And so they can bring that in because maybe they're not as tuned into what the sales reality is for what is or isn't working on the product side. So that's what that ideal relationship looks like and why embedding is actually really important because you don't want to wait. If you wait till there's a failure in the quarter, people don't hit their numbers, that's way too late. So that's why you want it to be this really dynamic relationship. So that's the ideal in a medium to larger size company where you have plenty of investment against product and product marketing. Yeah. Um, And I think, that that helps you guard against some of these later failures when you're proactively pairing product marketing with product management. It kind of reminds me of, you know, a, a classic thing I've run into in the past is going into maybe a an older type of organization, less tech focused, and realizing that their designers are totally separate from their engineers. And right. you know, the product managers write a document and then throw it over the wall to the engineers who build it for some number of months, and then you see a product at some point. And kind of realizing that 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 doesn't work super well for building. Uh, digital software products. Um, and so I think with, with product marketing, marketing, there's that similar thing of understanding the problems you're solving and how you communicate those are really important up front. Otherwise you might invest in this huge product and then release it and realize it's not connecting with people. It's not being understood. Um, that's actually happened to me where I launch a huge project after a year plus, And we had a lot of internal ideas about why this product was great and nobody perceived the product in the way that we expected. And it took a lot of work trying to course correct against uh, people's expectations and understanding of how this product worked within the reality of, of like the world in the market. And so I think that makes a lot of sense. Well, Zach, the, the scenario you just lived through or you lived through in your past, I'd say that is that happens more often than the reverse of that, which was everybody did all this work up front so that they felt really confident. And when it entered the market, it entered as people were expecting because they'd gotten that early market signal. Another piece of that too is you were talking about like, oh, how do we, we built this product, we made this huge investment. Getting that why, why did we make these? Because there's a, we justify this because we're trying to, this job needs to be done and, and we're trying to solve these problems. But getting to that meta why of, why was that a smart decision? And why should this matter to the customer? Making sure that question is being asked early enough that if there needs to be a change, as opposed to like, oh, it's released and now it's not really hitting the market. And then we have to like rebuild something. That's a big pain in the butt. But if you're getting that, if you're asking those questions and saying, could we really put this out there? And would that make this meaningful? It's uh, just going to save everybody a whole lot of pain and heartache. But I have seen much more of your scenario, unfortunately, than the the inverse. And it it seems like it's hard to course correct too. Like, especially for, let's say a more mature product, Instagram comes to mind of where Instagram is a very popular, huge product. And when TikTok started uh, becoming really popular, they, they realized we need a more dynamic short form video content that helps people discover stuff like TikTok does. They started introducing reels and that by no means has been a failure. Like, I think that's grown quite a bit actually. Uh, however, it's, I, as a, as a user of the product and anecdotally from like friends and family, it seems like that was a harder narrative to run counter against of, Hey, I already know what Instagram is. Don't try to change Instagram. Like this doesn't fit in with my, my view of what this product should be. And I think they've been course correcting, uh, to a decent extent, but it seems like a, they're really swimming, uh, up river. Um, so I think that's, that's a, a great example of the earlier you can have product marketing in, uh, the better this example is maybe not perfect because some of these things changed later in the game, but, um, right. yeah. And that's one that, that it's, 
there, there's so many factors there. There's a market factor, a brand factor, an experience factor. But then I'd also argue from a product perspective that one of the things TikTok does really, really well is their machine learning algorithms on the back end, how dynamically they serve that video up to you because it was a platform built for that from the start. It's like Reels was, was clearly tagged. It's like the, the home edition where you, you added the room, like, yeah, it's a really nice sunroom, but it's so clearly added on yeah. <laughs> as opposed to built into like, let's have lots of windows everywhere. So there's lots of light. And there's some amount for more mature products that you, you can't avoid. But if you made that choice, how, how might you frame it in such a way? So it's there, there's marketing and promoting that feature. And then there's framing it with intention saying the reason why we chose to do reels this way, instead of doing it the TikTok way is if you actually sit down and look at how people use Instagram, they actually like to spend time. I'm making all these numbers up flipping through like, you know, on average 18 photos. Uh, and then that they spend much less time on video, not because the video is not available. It's always been available, but that's just what people like in their Instagram experience. And we don't want the, what they come here for to fundamentally change. We want to augment, but we still want to deliver against the thing that they love the most. So it might be the right choice for them because engagement, what they care about, which is engagement, stickiness, that people keep returning, is is as high as it needs to be. They don't need to be TikTok. They need to enable you know, some of that, but they, I, I hope they've made these thoughtful decisions, but they haven't explained that to the world. They've just launched it. So if you explain that to the world, it might actually help it stick better. Where, where someone like Zach and Kevin aren't going like, well, is this a failure? Do they mean to do it this way? So sometimes that managing the story so that it actually helps shape the perception of the product winds up being as important as what you put out there. Yeah. It's super interesting to think about these different components and like with, there's a strategic component probably of, Oh, maybe, maybe Instagram and Facebook are really good at, uh, at advertising and, uh, rich data. And so our differentiation is that this, our advertising platform is more lucrative for our content creators than TikTok because TikTok is kind of notoriously not quite as lucrative. So maybe we can get people to want Instagram to be more of a home versus TikTok being uh, like a, a bed of just virality. Yeah. Um, but that's a strategic component that maybe consumers don't understand. And so you kind of have to be hitting these different areas for, for the environment to come together in the right way. Right, right. And that's, it's, I love that you bring that up as a strategic example, because then the product, the product marketer would take that and say, okay, this is the right thing for the business is that we are, we are the, we remain the premier platform for content creators to make revenue off of their content. And so how do I connect the dots that this is actually uh, not just a benefit to the content creators, because because those that are listening don't want to be like, oh, great, so I'm making them more money with my eyeballs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, how is this a thoughtful, intentional experience? And it might be, we're only serving you the most relevant, I mean, you're going to have advertising, but we're only serving you stuff that, that you actually seem to lean in on and care about. Like, I, I know a lot of big Instagrammers that really like to do commerce through Instagram. Right? It's easy. I love how it's visual. So they like it. <laughs> like we were like, Oh no, that's annoying. Actually, some people really like that. So make it uh, a very much an intentional thing that we're communicating about the platform. You're going to have commerce, might as well have commerce that you, we know that we're pretty sure you like. Yeah. And looking at the, what are the, their problems and what stories resonate with them? Uh, maybe there's creators who you really respect or look up to or enjoy following Instagram maybe is more intimate 
And maybe you don't mind them promoting things because you, you like their work, you trust them as a creator. So it's kind of like fitting these different pieces together, which the more we talk about it, the more I realize how much work there really is to do in the realm of product marketing. Um, I have a, I have a kind of a segue uh, question for you, and that is um, – where do you think product marketing best fits within an organization? So we've identified all this work we have to do to piece together strategy and storytelling and, uh, and you know, and evangelizing uh, amongst your, your, your users. And then you have the product pieces. Do you find product marketing fits best within the product organization, the marketing organization? Does it really depend? I'd love to hear your thoughts there. The vast majority of time, it does report into marketing organizations. And I'd say in mature organizations, I it's rare that I see exceptions to that, but I absolutely see exceptions to that. And it all depends somewhat, it's, it's somewhat stage and somewhat market. So if you have a mature market and or a mature company, you tend to be much more market focused. Okay. It's it's because it's not about individual products. You have a product line. And so really that the products are a portfolio through which to reach particular segments that are important to you to grow. So you're much more market in your orientation. And that's why it makes a lot of sense for product marketing to report up into marketing because that's market facing. The variation on a theme is I'm always an advocate of not all people are equal in being able to get the most out of the role of product marketing. There's some CMOs that think of it as creating product collateral and doing launches. And if that, the, the chief product officer and the product organization knows how to get a lot, knows how to get that value out of product marketing, then have it work in there. So I, I would pay attention to the people who sit in the seats at leading either one of those organizations. And the ultimate question to ask is, who as a leader is going to help us take maximum advantage of this role? Because if you put it in the quote unquote right place, but that person doesn't know how to leverage it, then it becomes a service organization. Or if you put it in product and that product person doesn't know how to leverage it for what its go-to-market power can be, then it becomes an adjunct to product management for all the stuff that they don't want to do. <laughs> that is like more market facing. Oh, you do with the sales force. Oh, you write all this collateral. Then it's like super technical and it's not really, mar it's not market forward enough. So either place, it can absolutely fail. And I think the, the much more important question to ask outside of market and stage is who do we, where do we have a leader that can let this function excel? Awesome. That's super, super helpful. Very interesting to kind of consider this uh, as we think about the landscape of building out a product team, partnering with marketing teams, and really at, at the end of the day, trying to drive great products that your, your users, your customers understand. So, um, well, thank you so much. I think before we wrap up the episode, um, we always love to give a quick homework assignment to our, our listeners. Um, so, you know, I'm happy to maybe give a, a quick uh quick idea of homework on my end, and then maybe you could drop in some thoughts. Um, so my thinking would be, first of all, go check out Martina's book, Loved. Um, I think that's an incredible primer for getting into product marketing, understanding it, whether you want to like get into actually being a product marketer, or you want to better understand how to, uh, to do some of the discipline or partner with the discipline. Um, so that would be the one thing I'd say. Um, I'd also say, Take a look at your next product brief, your next bit of product work you're going to go do if you're a PM, and look at the, the market side of the product market fit, and take some inspiration from this episode and from the book, and write down some thoughts about like who your, your target segment is, what questions you're solving for them, and, and what some of the ways.
ways you can connect these dots between um, the strategy, the storytelling, the evangelism. Um, Martina, uh, any any homework from your side? I do have homework. Uh, the next product meeting that you're at where you're making prioritization decisions about what's in and why, start with when, then go to why, then what, then how. Because if you start with when, that will automatically orient you more towards the market. Because the when is, when does this matter to our customers? Or what is happening in the outside environment? And and that should drive, that should all, I mean, in the ideal world, that's always driving when you release. It's not just like, what what is what are we doing and when is it going to be done? It's when will this have value to the world? And then let's build around that. So if that's the one homework assignment you take, which is ask yourself when, then why, then why? Because are we selling the story? Is this going to help us, you know, compete against the, the competition better? Again, both of those automatically warrant you much more towards the marketing customers. So that would be my biggest homework assignment. Awesome. That's, that's fantastic. Um, so Martina, thank you again so much for coming on today's episode. Everybody, uh, seriously go check out her book. Um, it's on Amazon, anywhere else you might, you might want to find it. Um, but otherwise we've all finished our coffee. So, uh, it's, uh, time to wrap up this episode and uh, it's time for you to go level up. This has been product coffee produced and engineered by me, Kevin Gentry. Through our podcast partner, Anchor, you can now record a voice message and send us ideas or topics to cover. And who knows, we might end up playing it on the show. You can also become a supporter of Product Coffee by contributing a monthly donation to help us sustain future episodes. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Product Coffee on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.